0: The following program is paid for by Rudy Wealth Management. Good morning and welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. You're invited to be part of today's show. Call 356 9397. Opinions and views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. And now, Paul Rudy's On the Money.
1: Welcome, everybody. Nice. Almost sunny day, Fred. I think right. we're going to need to build an ark for right. the rest of the week, right? right? It sounds like. My daughter with the two, my two grandchildren, I think she's already worried about some of that rain. What is she going to do with those, <laughs> a four-year-old and a one-year-old locked right. up <laughs> without being able to get outside? Anyway, welcome to Paul Rudy's On The Money. Uh, glad everybody could join us here today. We have everybody captive anyway, Fred. We have right. everybody at home captive. I'm here with Dr. Fred Gertz. Dr. Fred, good to see you.
2: Now, this is our... Fourth time. In, fourth, uh, I'm going to put David, in, yeah. In quarantine. So.
1: And I think, David, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Good. And I have certified financial planner professional and retirement income certified professional David Rudy calling in because he's not tough enough Fred, like us, yes. or maybe he's smarter than us. <laughs> you can call in with your questions at 217-356-9397 or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line at 351-5357. It's important to recognize that past performance is not an indication of future results. You should not make any investment decisions without first consulting your own financial advisor and conducting your own research and due diligence. Well, we got a lot to cover today, Fred, but just, uh, so my question is after looks like, I don't think we still have as much unemployment as we did in the great depression. They, they, I've seen estimates. that it was pretty close to 25%, but the last one where they talk about this real unemployment rate and I take it that's, people part-time that would like to have full-time work and people that aren't looking for a job surged to 22.8%, uh, the worst since they've been keeping official records in 1948, outstripping the effects of 1970s and 80s recessions, nine eleven, great recession of 2007-2009. Is this the worst unemployment scene? People alive right now may, well anybody 30 or older might right. ever see in there yeah, certainly the
2: highest rate i don't think it's the worst in terms of uh, uh distress because uh, uh we have all kinds of uh, supplementary programs that didn't exist back in the 30s and so on and again we this is an unusual situation unlike anything that uh we've had because it's not a uh the economy slowing down it's the economy being turned off and habit almost instantaneously and Again, even the idea of a stimulus doesn't uh, mean very much right now, because how can you stimulate when there's nothing to stimulate? Uh, the, the idea of giving people more money usually is that they they will spend that money and it will generate more activity. But when you're uh, constrained and not able to do that, then it, it sort of protects your balance sheet, but it doesn't do much for the economy right now.
1: And I see they're talking about another second <clears throat> round of checks to, you know, the people right. that got the stimulus checks, you know, the family members, the husband wife. Five hundred per child. Uh, I think that's probably a wait and see, but they're obviously concerned that some states are much slower to open and and the right. problems that could cause.
2: Well, also the it's a kind of uh, self fulfilling prophecy to the extent that you have uh, these kind of things available, it maybe may it's less urgent to uh, go back to work if you're getting as much money as on uh, unemployment plus the supplementary benefits. So. It's one of these things where it's a good thing in in the sense that it helps uh, people get through this crisis, but also makes them less eager to uh, get back in the fray.
1: Is that a risk? Do you think, Fred, Uh, we were talking earlier before the show about with the August one, basically, that's that's when the additional $600 a week from the federal government for unemployment leaves that it might be a challenge for restaurants that, if we open up but when they do open yep. up so they are opening up in some states <clears throat> uh a lot of people have to take a pay cut to go back to work All right but that will probably
2: end eventually so again it probably will slow getting back but it's not going to stop it again uh there there's always a discussion it's going to be a v shaped or now it's, it's supposedly a uh a kind of a L with an upward slope on the on the downside so uh, I think we, we expect things are going to get better but again uh, it's unusual and we haven't had the experience of, of dealing with a shutdown.
1: Well and in and, and the stock market you know, I think it's defying it seems paradoxical that you know on the day we had maybe one of the worst prints for unemployment rate and other bad news you know the stock market was up 300 points and You mentioned to me last week, I said, hey, you kind of get a, if you you got your feelings hurt back on uh, March 23rd when your portfolio might have, your stock part portion of your portfolio might then been down 30 to 40%. If that triggered alarm and really stress uh, to a person, uh, I suggested, hey, uh, the markets rebounded quite a bit. And we're going to talk more about that, you know, how it's kind of two or three different markets in there. But it's safe to say the broad, Uh, US stock market is certainly uh, might even say the broad global market uh, has come back and made up a lot of that loss it was one of the best after the worst March maybe ever I can't remember you know all the markets in turmoil shows but then we go one of the best April (laughs) months uh, in many decades Um, we still have that get out of jail free card and I think people would be wise to exercise it and if they were really stressed because they had so much in their stock portfolio, maybe more than they realized that maybe they should have, think about that now, look at your portfolio and make a permanent change if you're going to do that. This isn't one where we're gonna get on three weeks from now and say, okay, now go back. <clears throat> this is just, have a realistic view of what you can handle when uh, the bad stuff hits the yeah, fan. Yeah,
2: the other, uh I've been saying this for years now, but uh th- that all downturns don't bounce back in a month or two months or six weeks or whatever and This is a case where there has been a tremendous bounce back but in there are times when it takes years to get back, so you have to build that into your calculations but again, if people held fast now they're in pretty good shape, and if they rebalance they're even better.
1: And we've been writing columns in the News Gazette uh, on Sundays, the boys and I, and the one I covered was, you know, how kind of staying in your seat during this turmoil has really paid off. It was kind of also a theme of just incredibly how difficult it is to time markets. Hmm. And so, you know, when we look at a long-term historical compounded annual return for the broad U.S. market, let's just say somewhere around 10 percent. I think that's fair. Uh it's, but uh, that's on average. Uh, rarely looks average. And, you know, we were having two three-day period bursts that were up 10%. And that's kind of what the stock market does. It, 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 it makes so m- much of its lifetime returns and sudden bursts. It's too easy to miss those sudden bursts. And, and a lot of times, you, you'll never see those prices again in your life. And, that, and now that's it's not one a matter, of the risks. it's not a matter
2: of uh, getting the right month. It's getting the right day, which right. is even tougher. Yeah, I
1: think so. Well, uh, go ahead, Dave.
0: I was going to say, that's why I've seen this uh, from a number of different places where they've looked at you know, the average return of maybe something like the S&P 500 index. And then they show... You know, the average return, if you miss just the single best day, and it will drop like two percentage points for a, you know, a 10 or 15 year period. And it's like, if you miss the 10 best days over that period, it goes down to a return like, you know, treasury bills or something. And I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it's it's really extreme if you miss just a handful of the best days. And I think that seems almost like crazy to people, but then when you see Periods like you know a few of those days in March you can see how well yeah when you miss a couple days that are positive 10 percent that, that's going to have a huge impact on your long-term compounded return
2: that's also uh the the long-term trend is upward because you could probably also do a study if you uh got out for the you know five worst days you, you sure did pretty well but the fact is over the long run yeah. there are more good days than bad days
1: yeah, you, you literally have your, the odds. You are the casino when it comes to being a lifetime owner of the great companies of America and the world. You have a slight upward bias on a day-to-day basis, and it you know, gives you a small edge over time that compounds. And I think that's, that's the magic of it. But you know, it, it, there are a lot of people who were stressed out back in March, uh, the third week of March, that's for sure. And, yeah, we and were,
2: Every time it's different. You know, last time it was the you know, financial system was falling apart. This time— it's uh, one we haven't even uh, dealt with before, so it, it, there's always going to be a surprise. And this was really a surprise because uh, no one thought about it before uh, January, February, probably, of this year.
1: Yeah, and I always think it's interesting because every time I hear, you know, yeah, but we haven't ha- seen anything like this before, I kind of take that into two bites. Uh, no, we haven't seen a decline triggered by a pandemic like this in such a short burst of time, but we have seen really violent down markets. Yeah uh before so it's kind of like yeah the triggers are always different but kind of the market reaction but fred how can a stock market the nasdaq which is the high tech companies Mm -hmm. are only seven six or seven percent from their all-time highs it's as if i mean that's a normal run in the milk correction being down seven percent you've talked about this a lot i think so many people will say well how could the market be going up when we have the worst print Unemployment ever, and you've always talked about how it discounts it out. Yeah, the forward-looking
2: again. uh, uh, Usually, it's the other way around where it may be overreacts. This may be a case of underreacting. But the the basic driver of the stock market is expected future profits. And uh, again, uh, say uh, you're you're investing for a twenty or thirty or forty year horizon, and you say, okay, the next three months are going to be really bad. That's going to have a downward impact, but it's not going to be a proportional impact. So if the market goes down by 20, I mean, if we have all the, all these problems. Uh, again, the the economy is going down, but probably in the long term, the uh, expected profits aren't declining as as much. So again, there's there's some stability, but th- there's no rule. This is not a law of, of nature that people have to do that. And some sometimes there obviously are overreactions, and sometimes maybe underreactions.
1: And in in particularly when it comes to employment data, it's always looking in the past at right. the last two or four weeks. And I think it would be a really strange market dynamic if everybody knew something was going to happen, and then when it happened, it yeah. had a really negative Well, also, reaction. it's
2: really different because uh, usually unemployment results for businesses not doing well and and the economy uh, having some uh, inherent problems. This is the case where the the uh, economy was doing fine, and we, we turned off the switch, and people were out of work. So it's not, not quite the same kind of unemployment
1: yeah know. there's a lot that goes into this Con- economics is really i think just the economy is really people and it's really yeah. uh, com- complex and how the ripple effects right. uh, ripple throughout we're going to go to alan on online too alan has a question about printed money yes alan hey paul how you doing i'm doing fine
2: good um, i wish i could take credit for coming up with this question but i can't uh, but i'll repeat it to you uh, the deficit has grown from what was it four trillion in the early two thousands. Now we're up to twenty
0: five trillion. If creating all this money doesn't make any difference, why do
2: we still pay taxes? Well, that's a good uh, a good question. I think your numbers are quite right. The, Let's talk uh, about debt, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, debt. But the uh, uh, we were running a trillion dollar deficit in good times, and now we're uh, increased that maybe three or four fold So we're running of four trillion. So you're you're really right that. Uh, it seems like it's a, a money machine and, and there's no consequences in terms of inflation, but the uh, kind of the long-term iron law is eventually, if you do that, there will be inflationary pressure. We've been in a situation where that, that hasn't come to pass, but it doesn't mean that the, the problem has has gone away. So again, the the argument now is in the short run, we have uh, all kinds of uh, a downward uh, pressure on the economy, there's very little danger of inflation, and we can basically get away with it for a while but the question is uh, how long and, and the answer is not forever
1: but it could be quite long i mean if people right. are thinking that by next year or the year after we're going to have you know hot sky high inflation yeah. that's not what you're talking about you're saying you know we don't know if this is 10 years 20 or 40 years well it's been a long time now it's up. been we've had a, a unusual situation
2: for uh Over the last uh, almost 40 years now, we've had uh, declining inflation and hitting around uh, uh, close to 1% to 2% the last several years. And and unlike the past, the Fed has been worried about getting inflation back up to 2% as opposed to keeping inflation below 6%. So we have a margin of error right now, but that that margin of error is not going to be available forever, but it may be for several years.
1: And at the same time, one of the lowest, if not the lowest, cost to finance the debt uh, ever and then and we talked a little bit about this last show, you know, the, the kind of a similar theme, uh, you know, during the war years, World War II, uh, where we had huge deficits. Uh, and then we ended up with high debt to GDP. And then, yep. you know, uh, by the 1980s, basically, it we went from a huge concern in the 40s to, hey, maybe it's not even a big deal. We're at right. 20, 25% debt But to again, GDP. Uh, I mean...
2: Uh, <laughs> you always have to have a, a, a long-term and slightly negative view. It can't go on forever. But, of course. Okay. As, as Alan said, uh, if if this were the case, we simply say, who cares about taxes? We'll just uh, finance it with, uh, with borrowing. But again, that can't go on forever.
1: And part of the way the last time we grew out of this debt a mountain of debt was we grew the econ- economy in such a way that even though we were producing deficits, the growth of the com- economy on a nominal side yeah, the was two times bigger.
2: Of, yeah, the, the, after World War II, uh, the economy grew really rapidly for 30 years. So that reduced the uh, uh, debt to GDP ratio. And then we had an a, a unusual kind of time in the 90s when we had a, a big reduction in the, in the deficit, not necessarily the debt. But uh, whether that will come back again or not really is uh, uncertain.
1: I think Dave's getting these questions too a lot from frequently about inflation and what are we going to do about inflation yep. and my response is always well right now I'm pretty sure the Federal Reserve Board's more worried about deflation yep. than anything, uh, and and deflation is a bigger de- is it a bigger deal deflation than inflation is it harder to to treat well it's harder
2: in the sense that it limits monetary policy uh, one of the uh, arms of uh, of. Uh, one of the instruments the federal government has, aside from spending more or taxing less, is to uh, change the money supply, lower the interest rates. So, again, if you're down to zero, uh, uh, they used to talk about a zero, uh, zero as a lower bound, but now people are talking about actually having negative interest rates. But that can't happen very easily as long as people have cash. So uh, they're, they're, it hinders the uh, the uh, ability or, or reduces the ability of the Federal Reserve to, to uh, take care of the economy.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's kind of – deflation is kind of a vicious death spiral, right? Yeah. You know, as things get worse, things get worse. And then but, things but the question w- now is, how, who's going to go in and borrow – if you can
2: borrow money at 1% or 2%, you're probably still not going to build a new factory right now because of the uncertainty. So, again, uh, stimulate the economy through uh, lower interest rates is not very uh, very – uh effective right now and i
1: know the super wealthy are excited about the low interest rates because within their trust they can do that borrowing at around a half percent you know kind of intra-family right uh but for people who are living off you know we're regular people but people
2: who are living off their cds are probably (laughs) gonna have to yeah that's a
1: that's been a problem now for about 10 or 12 years and um of course, I've been at this almost four decades, and I, on the front end of my career, of course, it wasn't unusual to see ten percent CDs, eight percent CDs. The ten percent were a little out of were stretched through the savings and loan crisis, and those went away. And some of them even had yeah. their rates reduced after the fact. But you know, we always think of if early in my career, it was a, it was long enough ago where when the average person retired, you know, their life expectancy wasn't as long and. By putting your money in CDs really worked, but that that's not working any longer. But the point that got me thinking one time was, you know, this idea of what is safe and what is not safe from an investment standpoint, if you're living off your income producing investments and your income producing investments pr- pr- are returning 90% of the yield they did 10 and 20 years ago, I mean, it, that is a, it's just a different type of risk. Right. Nothing is risk-free, is it? Mm.
2: No, in those days too, you had a higher inflation rate, so you could get a, uh, c d for ten to twelve percent in the early 1980s but you were dealing with uh, close to the same rate of inflation, so the real rate was close to zero in those days too
1: and that 's becoming kind of kind of a dilemma for retirees, for example, because uh, everything they 've learned about it perhaps doesn 't yeah. work any longer well
2: far- also' it 's a dilemma but also a kind of challenge because there are people around who will give them options that uh, are purport to get around it but for example high dividend stocks sure and things of that sort which may be a good idea but they're not a magic solution to the the problem
1: yeah or you'll see uh index linked annuities uh that people sell that you know yeah. purport to give you the return of the stock market without any of the risk and there's just all kinds of garbage out there that that you know yeah. that do sound too good to be but true, even, they even they the
2: non-garbage i mean uh, buying high dividend stocks is not necessarily a bad idea but it's not a a way of getting right around the CD, risk of, yeah
1: uh, or junk bonds for that matter yeah. you could just say well just 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 decrease the quality of the bonds i buy and they'll pay me higher interest rates right. oddly yes. enough a few months ago there wasn't that big of a difference between what we call junk bonds and just regular straight corporate bonds but there's right. a that, that gap is really wide right now right. It, it got really wide but and so now for think about retirees that's not going to really work any longer And so this gets into this theme of maybe this is why the stock market's also going up. There's always what they call the FOMO, the fear of missing out. And so that drives people into the stock market. And then when interest rates are essentially around zero, it becomes there is nothing alternative. Tina, they call it. There is nothing alternatively to go for. Also, (laughs) it may may make people appreciate their
2: Social Security more than they have in the past because it's, it's there and it's sure.
1: It that's It's really a huge benefit. I mean, not not, not nominal terms, mm-hmm. but in, in, as far as the value of that benefit, is probably underappreciated, isn't it? Especially
2: for, for lower-income people uh, where it comprises more of their income.
1: Right. I think, a, what is it, a quarter of the people, it's half their – or, you know, it's a substantial number of people where it's their – 100 percent of their income, and I think for half it 's like ninety yeah. percent of their income or so. I may be wrong on that, yeah, but it was it, never it's substantial that,
2: it wasn't supposed to be that way, but it turned out that it was
1: when social security was risen, originally proposed and passed it didn 't have survivor benefits did it, and all these things that it well, and has also it also was now.
2: Very, very small it was a very small contribution to very small benefits but over the years. It's uh, growing, both both the uh, cost of it and the, the benefits, and also it's been adjusted for inflation. So it's uh, a much bigger deal than it was. People uh, <clears throat> talk about what's the value of uh, Social Security and Medicare, and it's probably uh, half a million dollars to people who retire.
1: And, you know, so often people read, and Dave, you hear this particularly from younger clients That A lot of people don't think it's going to be there. The system's broken. There's a lot of people that fear monger on this. And, you know, it's just not going to be there for me. Uh, Even people that are retiring today are concerned about what it's going to look like. And that's probably, that fear is probably overstated, isn't
2: it? I think it's overstated in the sense of uh, running out of money is probably not going to happen. There is a kind of fail-safe device where if uh, revenues fall short of the benefits, then benefits are reduced. But every time that becomes even a remote possibility, they figure out a way to deal with it. I think the more, uh, uh, the more, uh, I guess, a potentially uh, dangerous situation is for higher-income people. I think it's more likely that uh, Social Security will end up being uh, uh, more means-tested and, and higher-income people may not get as much as they – they expect. That's already happened. And they you. can add, just add uh-huh. a
1: bend point, another yeah. bend point that says you get less of your last yeah. you know, 25% of your earnings and yeah. things like and that. And Medicare
2: is the same way. The Medicare now is uh, uh,
1: based on your adjusted gross yeah, income. Yeah, so
2: I'm, I'm not sure that I'm not spending more for Medicare than I would for buying a, a policy on, on the open market.
1: And there's other moves they could, and I think they will, they'll push retirement, maybe full retirement to maybe 70 at some point. Right. And that will have Right. Uh, that can extend it for quite a long time. But the while. idea of they simply not
2: waking up someday and the check's not in the mail or the deposit's not in the bank account is not going to happen, though.
1: I've always run this calculation. It's probably the wrong calculation. I say, well, what would it take in Treasury-inflation-protected securities to produce 1500 or $2,500 a month? And that becomes millions of dollars, yeah. especially at the low rates. Probably not a fair way to look at it. It's probably a life annuities probably if you wanted a value. Yeah, I think
2: that people have talked about it of several hundred thousand dollars just for the income part and another uh, couple or $300,000 for the medical care part.
1: Yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's a big benefit. And, and you know, again, depending on how much of your retirement income is coming from your investments versus Social Security, you know, uh, it, it, you know people where uh, for higher earners where Social Security might replace – a third of your income needs, or maybe 40, 50%. Well, then the other 50% or 60% is coming from your investment portfolio. That, as it turns out, can't be just invested in pure CDs. We have to probably go buy some, you know, some partial ownership in the great companies of America and the world, and now suddenly they have to ride through periods. Right. It's, it's not... <laughs> uh, Bill Sharp, uh, who was a Nobel Prize winner, uh, called... Retirement planning, you know, trying to figure out how to, hmm. how much money I can spend safely, those types of issues, is the nastiest pra- problem in finance.
2: Yeah, yeah uh, and also before the crisis, uh, a lot of organizations were turning their attention to that. Uh, TIA, CREF, and a lot of pension funds were talking about not how do you accumulate, but how do you use the accumulation once you, you come close to retirement.
1: I've written a new program since this coronavirus. I so I, I got a, a coronavirus, okay. uh, kind of an all-new way to think about it. It's not so much an all new way to think about it, an all new way to approach exactly. it as far as to make it usable. Yeah. Uh, is like, what's a sensible withdrawal rate over yeah. time, and- uh, yeah. There's also uh,
2: going to be a new program at sirs which uh, has been deferred because of the problem, where people have an option, that, that there are two options at, uh, at CSRS. One is to have a, a traditional defined benefit plan, the other is a self-managed plan, more like a, a, a um, 401k <clears throat> but the problem was it was it was very difficult to uh take the money out because annuitization uh gave you not a very good deal so right. now there's going to be a combination of insurance and things to provide you some degree of, of certainty and some uh, uh fairly uh decent returns as well.
1: well that's good i mean that's it's been needed uh it's it's this is a very difficult environment for people uh i think a lot of people that attempted to do it on their own the last 10 years prior to this year was kind of easy and i could it was yeah. probably seemed like a reasonable thing to do i think a lot of those people mm-hmm. are suddenly woke up and recognize that oh maybe i don't know what it is right uh, and also uh, doing it yourself you know, right
2: now we're talking about insurance companies but uh, annuities are not <laughs> necessarily a very good uh, option so people for the most part have to self-annuitize they have to do it themselves rather than go out and buy an annuity contract
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, Of course, uh, it's always interesting when uh, major companies, or not always major companies, but they tend to be larger companies, uh, they'll say, you can have this bucket of money or you could have this pension income stream for life, and it's not, well, I'll have half and half. It's always one or the other. And I try to tell people, well, it's not really necessarily that way. Now, I'm not talking about the university. That's no. a different deal. I'm talking about private pensions that are mm-hmm. tend to be fixed payments. So if it's 1200 a month today, it's yeah. 1200 a month 10 years from now. Uh, that if, if they were kind of a, a tweener, someone who said, I wish I could, but they won't let me do half and half, say, well, you could go take half of your money and put it into a lifetime annuity right. and do that, and you could do that pretty inexpensively. at Places like immediateannuities.com is a place right. to look if you want to price, how much would it cost for every $100 of lifetime right. income I want at my age or a joint beneficiary, but um, th- this, is gonna, this is gonna settle. I think this, I think the market retreat while it was sharp and scary, I wonder if there isn't a false sense of the worst is over. And I'm, right. I'm not convinced, though I don't know. So I, at least I readily admit, I really don't know, and I don't think anybody knows, but there's something nagging at me after 36 years that said, in some ways this is too easy if, if, if it's just a V recovery, which we've never had a V stock market right. recovery after a 30% decline. Right? Maybe this would be the first one. Right. There's always the first one.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, there are two different worries. One is, uh, worry about your portfolio, the other's worrying about the economy. And right now, uh, <clears throat> there seems to be more worry about the uh, the economy than it does uh, uh, equity prices. But again, as we talked about, equity prices are not a, a sure thing. So it, it, if things turn out to be less optimistic than we think in terms of the recovery, then that's gonna have an impact on the, on the stock market.
1: And David, from a client reaction, you're on the front end of it. Um, what's your sense of where people's heads are at right now as far as uh, how they view uh, just their overall retirement uh, related to their investments. is uh, the concern seem like it's completely gone away compared to where it was on the 23rd of March?
0: No, I mean, I don't think it's completely gone away, but it's definitely lessened considerably. You know, I'm not getting any emails from people saying that they're, you know, slightly panicked about you know, whether or not they have enough, you know, whether or not they need to cut their spending or, you know, just whatever the concern is, getting a lot less of that. If anything, the kind of concerns that I hear, um, oh, I think the market might be overly optimistic and we're going to go into a pullback. So then you start hearing that type of stuff and it tempts people to try to time the market. So either if they have cash on the sidelines, try to keep it on the sidelines until there's a more opportune time. Or, you know, should we reduce our our stock allocation now while the market's up? Um, And I just always have to tell people, look, I firmly believe you can't time the market. It may be overly optimistic right now. It may not. I really don't know. And that's, you know, something I readily admit. But what I do know is that timing the market tends to be a, a losing game. And it's just generally a bad idea. So I always try to try to, just refocus people on their financial plan. Why do we have the allocation that we have in the first place? And then let's, let's stick to that plan. But that's, that I would say the number one concern is, oh, it, it just seems like the market's overly optimistic because as we talked about earlier, it's like there's this disconnect between the, you know, the high unemployment numbers and just negative news in general and then the market. Recovering so much and only being down, you know, if you look at the major indices down, what about 10% from From their highs now. Yeah, we had a, like
2: last time we had a technical question about can you have a does This count as of a bull market Do you have to have a certain length of time to before it qualifies as a, a bull market or exceed the, la, the the High level or something of that sort because in a sense if you go just by the percentages, we had a, a Bear market and a bull market within about six weeks.
1: Yeah. And Dave, have you uh, had anybody reconsider when they're going to take their Social Security because of what's going on?
0: I haven't. I've had a couple questions about it, but we haven't changed um, anyone's Social Security claiming strategy um, in response to this.
1: What What might cause that? So, if it had stayed down thirty five, forty percent for an extended period, then then for some people, psychologically, and it won't wouldn't do any damage to really their lifetime plan if it just felt better to take it? Is that kind of the – I mean, are you open to yeah, that?
0: I th- I, I'm open to it, and I, I think that is kind of the scenario where, you know, maybe there's a certain reality where, look, we can't delay until 70 anymore. Like, you have to m- bridge that gap until Social Security starts, and if the market – you can't just bank on the market rocketing back up. So yeah. if, yeah, you had a really prolonged significant market decline, now we try to be extra. The reason that I that's probably not going to happen. Uh, not that it won't, but um, we tend to be extra conservative with the investment allocation. Meaning, you know, we're we're going to have a little bit more money in bonds in the years before people claim Social Security. For that reason, it's like, look, we know a big market decline can happen early on in retirement before you claim Social Security. When we're withdrawing more. So we need to have more of your money and stable stuff to kind of protect against that possibility. So I think that's part of the reason we haven't had to really shift gears yet. But, yeah, conceptually, I think if you did have a really significant market decline and it seemed like it was, it was prolonged and really not getting better very quickly, then you could make an argument for um, claiming earlier just but, to help uh, preserve the portfolio a little bit.
2: David, there's always a counter argument too, though, if you're – if you can maintain your uh, consumption level, the internal kind of rate of return and, and deferring it's pretty good now, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is, so. So, so I mean, if you, if you don't have to do lies, it,
2: like if, you're probably gonna get more by uh, d- delaying your, your retirement date in terms of higher payments than you would in ter- uh, you know, other kinds of investments.
0: Yep, and that's that's why typically speaking, you know, we try to delay whenever possible, at least for one of the people. Um And especially the more conservative your investment allocation is, even the more favorable it is to delay social security and get that increase and so that's why, like I said it would it would have to be a situation where it's like, look, we really are are concerned about literally not being able to delay all the way until seventy just because you know your portfolio is gonna get you know depleted substantially right. doing that but but, like I said. We try to protect against that possibility just by being a little more conservative with the allocation on the front end, anyways.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's also not a, I, its not an irrevocable uh, decision because you can decide to wait till seventy and change your mind after a couple of years sure. if you if you want to.
0: Exactly.
1: Yes, it's, it's one of those things, Fred. Where you know we, you know, we try to pull teeth if we have to, not for them not to take it at sixty-two or sixty-three or sixty-four. Yeah. It's they're a few years into retirement, maybe they're. 65 and they were planning on taking it at 66 and a half and it's like okay now the trade-offs from the psychological war department trying to you know uh, call a truce between the panic and the optimal (laughs) portfolio strategy is close enough where sometimes you can allow for that to happen it's just one of those little safety measures that we always options we keep in our back pocket and we talk about on the front end But one of the things we've really instituted, just based on some of the research I've done over the last couple of years, is try to be much more conservative on the front end of retirement, particularly as people are delaying, the further out they're contemplating delaying, the more conservative we are on that front end.
2: And people have some options now with the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, I guess, holiday from the uh, required minimum distribution. So people have options of, Either taking it out for their own use or putting it into a uh, Roth IRA or lots of things.
1: And why isn't it we can't have some, you know, why is it we can't take some at 64 and then say like half? Yeah. I'm not suggesting it would even be a smart strategy, but yeah. I, I don't know why. It seems like so many of our choices in life that we're forced to make are binary. You either right. do, you either delay or you don't. Right. Uh, it's like a mortgage. You're either a 30 year or you're a 15, yeah. or you're a variable or you're a fixed. Uh, would strike me with financial engineering could do that in a weekend a couple of smart guys could say oh yeah we could uh, a new program and you could take if you want to if it makes you feel better to take uh, half of your Social Security at 64 and then the rest at 70 sure Uh, that would seem to be now there's a strong argument too for having a a kind of
2: hybrid system of a a combination of a defined benefit to to maintain a a secure low level of of income and then having the uh, uh, Defined, benefit on top, defined contribution on top of that to right. give people the options. But, again, it's difficult to do. So.
1: Yeah, people just aren't all that attracted to it. I, there's a lot well, of smart...
2: Like, the same thing you're talking about. Uh, with the state university's retirement system right now, it's kind of all or nothing. You either go into the defined benefit, <clears throat> which uh, locks you into a certain path, or uh, defined contribution. Which you have all kinds of choices, but all, all all kinds of challenges as well. So maybe you know half of one, half of the other would be a, a preferable situation. But we can't really make that change easily.
1: Yeah, we could sit around and dream about it, uh, but it's, right. it's, it's it. It would seem to me if somebody thought of it and said, you know what, that's that's a reasonable strategy from a engineering standpoint. Yeah. It should be doable. It's just maybe there's no will to do it, or maybe maybe it's maybe it's not even sensible. I don't know. I know one thing I noticed that because a few people wondered why they weren't getting their, uh, I call it a coronavirus check, the stimulus check. I, I read an article the other day. <coughs> it says if you haven't received your coronavirus check, it's such a long word. It always gives me trouble when I look at it. And you receive supplemental Social Security uh, benefits. Here's some good news. Your payment should arrive this week. You'll get your stimulus payment in the same way you receive your monthly benefit, but there's a benefit, but there's one exception. If you get it, nor instead of direct, if you get a direct deposit, you're going to get it. I guess May thirteenth, but if you normally get your check, your SSI check, uh, then by a physical check, yes. then you should get that by a paper check by Friday, May fifteenth.
2: Uh, you get a note from uh, President Trump too, don't you? <laughs>
1: I think he signed it yeah i think he signed it i think that that's pretty good so uh it's been interesting i noticed that you know we're hearing about it's i can't figure all this out we're hearing about meat shortages and all these things but yet now i notice the u.s is going to start they're rolling out a program to purchase three billion of dairy meat and produce from farmers and ranchers next week um it's it's weird to where it's weird to hear about shortages and then farmers yeah. dumping food but i think well, we're talking about a, different types of foods
2: well also it's a, a question of uh, like in the depression there were you know people starving and there were uh, farmers dumping their milk into uh, creeks so it, it may be just a disconnect between the uh the two sides of the market here i know i like in in either belgium or holland they're they're throwing away tons of potatoes because they can't figure out a way to Get into McDonald's or McDonald's isn't selling enough potatoes. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean think how tough that business is, the food business and the and the well, shows hospitality the, business. Well it, it shows is,
2: the, the all the way going back to Adam Smith how how uh complicated the market is in a kind of decentralized way. And normally you don't have to figure out will it be uh you know, if I want to buy potatoes, you don't have to figure out in advance uh I need to two weeks from now I'll get some potatoes. You just go to the store and buy it. Right. When things are uh, interfered with like this. It, it creates a different kind of situation. I
1: suspect it's logistics. You know, if I'm going to fill up a truck and send it, you know, 300 miles or 500 yeah. miles, I could fill it up with toilet paper or yeah. or products that are heavier and I make a lot higher margin on yeah. I think this whole distribution chain has been uh, disrupted. I, I know the minute I started hearing about uh, meat shortages, yeah, you know, I went to Sam's and I wouldn't say I hoarded. I tried to be reasonable yeah. about it, but I try to get on the front end of those things. Well, be Not 70. because there's—I think there's really going to be a shortage. I think it's because well, of the know. psychology no, no. of it.
2: I saw a sign when I went into Schnooks that said, "We have eggs," so eggs must be. For a while, cream. they were no.
1: with the, butter. I went to Sam's. Not that people listening really care yeah. about my grocery shopping, but I thought it was odd that I couldn't buy butter. I mean. Yeah. Guns and butter, Fred. And That's what we all I heard about in well, Economics it, 101 or and, Guns and Butter. And it stays forever, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, David, I want you to just briefly mention, uh, because some universities and school systems have been issuing refunds, partial refunds, and there's some stickiness. If you had used a 529 plan to pay some of those fees, can you just give just give people a general, just so they're aware that there is this issue out there about, how to avoid tax penalties on college refunds?
0: Yeah, for sure. So I think it's you know kind of awesome that colleges are doing this and refunding money, and people's reaction is understandably very positive, like, oh, I'm getting some money back. Um, but if you had used money from a 529 plan to pay some of those college expenses and then you get a refund from that institution, that can be considered. Uh, it, it's almost like since that money wasn't used, for uh, college expenses, they're gonna count it as a non-qualified distribution, which would be subject to a tax penalty, um, at least for the portion of it that represents earnings in the account. And so to avoid that, what you're gonna wanna do is either, if you have other education expenses you can use that money for, you can obviously do that, um, but I think the, the simple solution is you can move it back into your 529 plan, so if you, if you contribute that same amount to your 529 plan within 60 days, you can avoid having that, um, avoid the taxes and penalty on that, that refund. So I think that's just the main thing to be, be on watch for. Cause I think a lot of people might get that refund and not even think about those potential consequences. Um, and I, I think it's, you, you know, you don't want to be blindsided by anything. So for the people who are in that boat, I think it's worth doing some research and potentially, um, contributing that money back into a 529
2: plan. David, do you have to uh, <clears throat> go through a special process or just put it back in the plan cuz usually when you put money in a plan it's not it's not a, a redeposit, it's new money. So how would they how would uh, anyone know the difference?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm not 100% sure on that to be honest. I have anything I've read hasn't specifically stated it, it just said, you know, you have to deposit the refund back into the account. Within 60 days, so it hasn't specified kind of the, the operational side of it if you have to do anything special. Yeah, I don't people know. People might, might want to check with that,
2: the, uh, the, the plan itself when they do it just to uh, make sure there, there's no special. Make sure
1: it's coded, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that might yeah. make some sense. And Dave, when new clients, and we do have new clients coming in, I think. Is always since I've told the boys, after bear markets and difficult times, we tend to do more. We tend to pick up clients because I think this money gets more more money in movement. People either find out if they had an advisor, he or she was a knucklehead, and now they now it was verified, or they were doing it on their own. In some cases, the people are coming to us, uh, we're doing it on their own. Decided maybe that's not what they wanted to do, and they want to make somebody else responsible for those decisions, but there always comes a question with new money of, okay, uh, so Dave, you're telling me we need to be 50% stocks and 50% bonds. Do we do it all today? How are you handling it in this environment?
0: I kind of walk them through the pros and cons of, of a few different approaches. So I think I'm getting that question more often now than ever just because people are worried, like I said earlier, that the market's overly optimistic, that things are going to get worse, we're going to have you know the second shoe is going to drop. Um, so they're worried that they're going to invest their money all at once and see a pullback. So I, I talked to them about, look, if you if you look at one year periods, about 70 or 75% of them have positive investment returns. So because the market goes up more than it goes down, to stack the odds in your favor, the best strategy would be to invest it all today. But the risk of doing that is that you invest it and then you see an immediate decline. Now, your plan's built to withstand declines from a financial standpoint. That's really not that big of a deal, but psychologically it can really bother people. Like, man, I've never had more money. Of course I invested it just the wrong time. So I say, okay, well, you go to the opposite extreme, which a lot of people want to do right now, which is, well, let's just wait. And I say, okay, well, if we wait, what, what are we waiting for? Like, we're never going to pick the bottom. And, you know, usually you'll hear, well, we'll wait until things get better Till you know the coast is clear. It's always vague stuff, um, and I talk to them about how look when things look better, the market's already going to be higher than it is today. So a perfect example of that is you know the market bottomed in March of two thousand nine. Unemployment didn't <laughs> didn't uh, peak until what was it October of two thousand nine, and in the meantime, people who were waiting for things to get better in, t- in t- two thousand nine would have missed out on huge gains. So I talked to him about, you know, the risk of staying on the sidelines is you can permanently miss out on gains, and that can be more costly than, than experiencing a temporary decline. So an option that you have is kind of a hybrid strategy, which is, look, let's invest a portion of it today, and then let's dollar cost average over the <laughs> next several months. And that just means we're going to take that amount that should be in stocks but isn't right now, and we're gonna invest in equal increments over the next X period, of, you know, X number of months. Um, I talked to them about how, look, chances are that's gonna be a worse strategy than investing it all today and you're, you might leave a little bit of money on the table, but it avoids the extremes. So it makes people feel better if they do that and then the market does decline. It's like, well, at least half my money was on the sidelines and I'm gonna be buying into this decline um, and then the flip side happens where, okay, let's say the market continues going up. Well, at least I had half of my money invested now and I'm, you know, I've been investing in along the way. So it keeps you from getting stuck on the sidelines. So it's not like this perfect strategy, but, um, mm-hmm. I think it's a good option for a lot of people, um, just to manage the emotional side of things because it is, it's so tough for people to pull the trigger all at once and invest, you know, a giant lump sum of money. So I just walk them through that. I say, here are your options. I've had one client that said, "Look, I don't look at my account. If the market declines, I'm not going to be stressed out about it. Let's do it all today. That's what stacks the odds in my favor." And I have other clients that say, "Hey, let's go that dollar cost averaging route." So I'll I'll look at their input and just talk to them about how they feel about investing. As long as they take one of those two approaches, I'm comfortable with it. What I don't allow is just staying completely on the sidelines, trying to pick the right you know, pick the bottom. Cause that's just something we're never going to do.
1: What would you do if they insisted on, on that and said, well, that's, that's what I want. <laughs> Has that ever happened?
0: Yeah. I would just tell them, uh, no, it hasn't, but I would just tell them, well, that's not something we can ever deliver on. Like I, I would never promise that I can pick the right time to invest. So if that's what you're looking for, we're not going to be a great fit for you. Um, I don't think there's anyone who can consistently do that. So be wary of anyone who says they can, but if, if that's what you're looking for, Either you can try to do it on your own, or try to find an advisor who thinks he can do it. You know, those are your options. But you know, I'm not going to take someone on as a client, and on the basis of you know, they're going to have an expectation of something I know I can't, I can't possibly do.
1: So you're saying you're okay. Fire me. You're okay, dollar cost averaging, even though you might think it's not ideal in your brain, but it is a strategy at least, and it is a plan.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because at least it's it's something it's not based on a market forecast so much as it is it's like just dealing with psychology hedging our bets a little bit and we have a plan to get fully invested
2: there's also Uh, um, the other side of the coin with dollar cost averaging uh some people suggested back in february and march if you're in a panic situation uh don't sell everything sell maybe five percent uh every month for a while and see how things go so again it's not a a good strategy in terms of uh, like the, the hard math, but it's a psychological way of uh, kind of controlling things.
1: And again, well, at least it's a strategy. It's, yeah. it's one that the advisor and the client can can agree on. They have a plan of attack. David just can't live. I can't either, though. But David's more rigid than I am. But he just he will not. He would literally let somebody. He wouldn't care if they had ten million dollars. He if they asked him to do that, he'd say, "Well, we're not going to yeah. work together." Well the other way to do it is to <laughs> well,
2: have a uh, notional amount, say, take the amount the person's gonna invest and do it the way you want, right. and then have them compare it to what, what actually happened, and yeah. it might, might be a good lesson. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's, the
0: risk you run there is if it works out, yeah. at least in the short run, and they're gonna say, see, I told you so. <laughs> well, we and had a case people, too, in uh, like, 2003
2: and 2004, when the, the Boglovich administration borrowed uh, a huge amount of money to give to the pension fund, we got a message from the uh, director of the Bureau of the Budget. Uh, don't really invest this right now. Why don't you wait until the market stabilizes? And we didn't take the advice. and We uh, did invest it, and we kept a running track about how we did versus how we had done it. it turned out that we, we we were the winners in that. We would probably wouldn't have kept score if we weren't the winners.
1: Wouldn't have told them about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. It's interesting. Uh... Of Course David remembers the day I thought David was gonna fall out of his kind of early in his career with me is three or four years ago. A client, a potential client came in and he had this one investment which I considered a toxic investment. I'm not gonna talk about what it was and he, he but I didn't realize he had picked that one out himself. <laughs> Usually they're sold to people. Yeah. And I said, Oh I go, Well we'll still need to get rid of that and He said, Well what if I don't want to? I said then I guess you and I won't work together, right. just like that. Right. <laughs> I thought David was going to fall out of his chair. Right. I think he liked it though. Yeah. That's where David
0: gets. Well, because it from. I mean, if you start a relationship based on something you know you can't live, or eventually they're just going to leave anyways because you're you're not going to meet their expectation. So it's like it's pointless to even take them on as a client. You're just adding aggravation to your life.
1: Yeah. In other words, you're and not going to knowingly, d- d- you know, do yeah. something that deserves a client yeah, and, on the and front the, end.
2: Uh, uh, pension world, we have uh, uh, advisors, outside advisors, two kinds of advisors. One advisor say, will say you can do anything you want as long as it's not totally crazy, and the other will actually <laughs> give you a plan. So if you shop for advisors, you can get almost anything you want.
1: And finally, I noticed that the self employed and gig workers in Illinois are now going to be able to get unemployment, Fred. There's a new Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program. I thought they were going to call it PPP, yeah. there for a while. I guess it's going to allow gig workers, which I never really thought about what gig workers meant. I always felt like gigabyte, but I don't think yeah. it's later. It's like, here's my gig. Yeah, here's a, a massage uh, therapist. Yes, or, uh, uh, Uber independent. Driver. Yep, independent contractors who are self employed can finally receive uh, unemployment benefits. But here's what's odd the state figured out how to fix its computers. But yeah. now Illinois is telling these workers, first you apply for regular, un- regular unemployment benefits, let the system deny them, and then reapply under this new assistance right. program.
2: You may also, <laughs> uh, people who haven't been diligent about reporting all of their income may <laughs> suffer a-, a shock now, because I don't think you can get unemployment for the income you didn't report as, uh, as taxable income.
1: You mean people and, actually um, have two one- sets of book for it? Go ahead, Dave.
0: <laughs> one, uh, one last thing on that, too. They did state that they will backdate the benefits so that was one of the things i had a question about earlier on um so they'll backdate the benefits to the first week um, of your unemployment essentially because you know theoretically you should have been able to get it you just couldn't because there wasn't a way for people to apply so that's, good. that's just nice that they're being fair there
1: yeah fred well in the next 30 seconds or so i i tell you i, I don't know why i feel like there's another bad shoe to drop and i'm usually the opposite yeah. i'm the incurable optimist but I feel like there's this other shoe to drop.
2: that's the way I guess you should be. It's uh, the market's 50 50. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, maybe fifty two forty eight. 48. Yeah.
1: It's just, uh, yeah. it seems like we should be more worried than maybe right. people are and things ought to be worse. But maybe well,
2: be, there may be a, a stronger recovery than we expect. I think we need to move in that direction
1: i hope so well go ahead Dave. i'm I'm, I'm done Uh, we're going to wrap it up thanks for listening to paul rudy's on the money radio show i had david rudy certified financial planner professional and dr fred gertz with me thanks guys we'll see you in two weeks
0: join us for the second and fourth tuesday of each month for paul rudy's on the money Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana.